Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is January 13th, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How's it going, my friend? <laughs> You're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's just get right to it. On the show today, the kids are not all right. Is Canada already a police state? And are backyard hockey rinks racist? And more. Where do you want to start, good sir? Well, I I want to touch on something you didn't even mention there. Um, And it's to do with another podcast. Uh, We've got scientists petitioning Spotify to get Joe Rogan kicked off the platform. Now, I heard about that very briefly this morning, but uh, I'll let you go into the details. Yeah, well, I mean, those are pretty much the details. They're claiming claiming that uh, the doctors and scientists that he has had on his show are lying. And misinformation and spreading misinformation. Oh, for crying out loud. So I can only assume that these scientists are being, you know, they're on somebody's payroll who's benefiting from vaccines. Um, because nothing that, and I've, and I've, I've done research. They, there is nothing that those scientists have said on his show that could be qualified as a lie. Well, it's funny that you would bring that up because I remember the episode that he, the interview he did with Dr. Robert Malone. And one of the very first things that Dr. Malone said was, I have absolutely no financial benefit from this and I'm not making anything off this and I would just as soon stay home. So, uh, yeah, he has no incentive to give any kind of spin. In fact, he made it very clear that he would rather not be in the limelight and would rather just stay home with his horses. Well, and, and the thing is, is that if anybody would um, want to promote something that they invented, um, it would be, you know, someone like Dr. Robert Malone, who was on the team that, that created the mRNA vaccine technology. Yet he's out there saying this is not what it was meant to do. It was not meant for mass vaccinations. It was meant for tailoring uh, vaccines for individuals, um, and it's and, and and he said that uh, they're finding that there's you know there's issues with especially with kids, and that uh, and especially with getting too many shots. So the boosters, he's he's saying, please don't get the boosters, uh, and don't get your kids vaccinated because it's there's just too many serious adverse side effects. Yeah, and apparently that that's misinformation. And you you know what? You're probably right. They probably it's the scientists who are being at least encouraged by oh God, I'm in trouble for this big pharma to, uh, yeah. to suggest he's he's spreading misinformation. And Joe Rogan, I I really like that he will have interview absolutely anybody that he finds interesting. It doesn't really matter what walk of life they're from. And yeah. I don't really see Joe Rogan as the misinformation type because he he doesn't have to. 
information. He's got the largest audience in the world. And yeah, he he can tell like it is without any fair repercussions. Well, well and that and that's the thing, right? Like there was a poll on Facebook and I can't remember who it was that that had the poll. I think it might have been like Canada Proud or something like that. And it said, "Do you trust the CBC more than you trust Joe Rogan?" And <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> and, and my answer was I can trust whether I agree with Joe Rogan or not. And there's a, a, quite a few things I disagree with Joe Rogan on. It, whether I disagree, whether I agree or disagree with Joe Rogan, the one thing I can count on is that he's being honest. Yeah. And, and so being... I said, I trust him to be honest. I can't trust the CBC to be honest. No, definitely not. Can you imagine anybody claiming that Rosemary Barton is honest? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so, I, uh, so I just, I I just want to say to those scientists, uh, good luck. Spotify paid $100 million for his show, and they are not going to kick him off. Yep, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, there's a uh, Joe Rogan isn't going anywhere because yeah, like you say, they paid a hundred million dollars for Joe Rogan's show, and they are going to recoup that money, but not not overnight. So, uh, I mean, like we said, Joe Rogan has the most popular show in the world, so he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, All right, well, let, let's, let's get back to Canada here. Let's talk about <laughs> let, let's talk about Quebec. That's a really good place to start. Now, uh, Quebec is leading the way in Canada's transformation into a police state. So we've got first of all the government of Quebec suggesting that well, perhaps to keep the vaccine passport alive, we need to go now to three shots instead of two. So suddenly a huge swath of the Quebec population is going to be considered anti-vaxxers. Yeah. And I, th I believe there was a couple of guys that, that predicted that this would happen. There were, yes, they're, uh, they're pretty smart guys too, but uh, very underrated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I believe their names are Lewis and Tony. They and have they some little show and they host a podcast called Canadian Common Sense. Those are the guys. Yeah. Um, now they're doing something that I don't think either of us even predicted. I never that thought was... they would go quite that fascist. You're right. Go ahead. Yeah, they're they are going to impose a health tax on the unvaccinated. And if they make fully vaccinated three shots well suddenly they're going to be imposing health taxes on most of their population yeah and that's um now of course justin trudeau was very very treading very very carefully when he made any comment about it and uh, of course just said that you know quebec will do what they do and try to avoid any kind of constitutional issues but if we have a universal healthcare system, universal access, and they want to make people who haven't gotten a vaccine pay for, for healthcare services, I can't see how the Supreme Court would ever go along with that. No, 
No, it's definitely not constitutional. I mean, the fact that our healthcare system is universal access and single payer, um, you can't discriminate. By law, no. you can't discriminate. And by saying that some people have to pay more than others because of a decision that they made, that that's wrong. I mean, I already, you know, I pay a lot more into healthcare than your average person um, because I make more than the average person. Um, and then they're going to, and so someone like me or someone like, uh, you know, any, anybody who makes more than the average, they're already paying more than other people into the system. And then they're going to get slapped with a, an additional tax. I mean, all I'm hearing out about Ottawa lately is additional taxes. And now the provinces are talking about additional taxes. Quebec with this healthcare tax. I mean, how much tax do they think people can afford? Yeah, and I get it that they're, you know, they want to spin this as an incentive for people to get vaccinated. But even the vaccines themselves, and I, I said this way back at the beginning when they first brought the vaccines in, is is look at the our section rights to uh, our own body and economy. And those are getting trampled all over if you start to mandate vaccinations because the whole my body my choice comes into play and i know this isn't about abortion but this is still our bodies and we've got dr malone saying don't you get another shot and i'm more inclined to agree with him than with some bureaucrat who decides that hey this is the way we're going to uh get even more vaccines into quebecers arms like this is and i hate using the the word slippery slope but boy this is a slippery slope that i didn't think they would go down yeah i mean let's let's talk about a couple things here like the fact that it's my body my choice for all kinds of other things but this one thing you're not allowed to choose on um, like I, I have a real problem with that, especially when, I mean, this isn't like getting, this isn't like getting a vitamin B shot where there are no side effects to that. There are no downsides to getting a vitamin shot or a vitamin IV drip or something, right? Like there's no downsides to those things. None. Um, but how do you make something mandatory that has some pretty severe potential side effects? I mean, what is it now that VAERS, uh, the, the vaccine adverse uh, reaction uh, uh, you know, reporting system, they're saying that there's like 18,000 vaccine-related deaths now uh, with COVID-19 deaths. Or COVID nineteen vaccines. If there's eighteen thousand uh, uh, COVID vaccine related deaths now. Um, there's myocarditis that is uh, affecting especially young young men and young boys. Uh, I happen to be related to one that has that is having to deal with myocarditis it's an ongoing issue this is not this hasn't gone away and it's been you know probably eight or nine months now and 
women of all ages are experiencing, you know, problems with their menstrual cycles after getting the shots. And that one, I think, is a lot more common than people even know because um, a lot of women just chalk it up to getting older or being young and not being, you know, consistent or whatever. But it's like the women in their 30s are, are going like six to eight months without getting, without get, having, having their, uh, their period. And the doctors are telling them your hormone levels are so low that you're in menopause. And, and then eight months later, they, boom, they're getting their, their period again, all of a sudden. Um, there's been women in their 50s who've already gone through menopause that all of a sudden start having a period again for, for a few months, and then it goes away. Or, they're ha- or they start getting their period like every 10 to 14 days rather than 28 to 30. Um, it's, it's messing with our system. Like there, there's a spike in stillborns and uh miscarriages i mean this is this is like really important stuff and like this is not there, there are side effects to this and to say there isn't is a lie there are you know there's there's possible complications that your doctors are not telling you about which in my book, it contravenes the um, Hippocratic Oath. Um, I, I even know someone who had a stroke, who's in a wheelchair for the rest of their life from the vaccine. And the his doctor told him, hey, it's a good thing this, this vaccine caused your stroke now, because if you had your vaccine or your reaction to the vaccine was so severe that... Uh, if you had actually gotten COVID, you would have died. That's really not very comforting. That is not true. Because how can they possibly say that? They don't know that. Yeah, no kidding. So there was another angle to the Quebec story, too, in that I don't remember who the gentleman was, but he was uh, saying that, well, they got to be careful with, with mandating the vaccines and then with the whole idea of fining people. But he said right now it is the, the more marginalized people in Quebec society that don't have their shots and uh, a lot of First Nations reserves, for example, and some newer immigrants. And... So they now they're saying, well, then maybe maybe that's not racist for them to to suggest imposing fines because, they, like I say, they are hitting the most marginalized of Quebecers who don't have their, all their shots yet. Yeah, and as much as I want to fault the government in any way I can, I can't go along with that narrative. I can't say that it's racist, but I think it's a good point that they uh, they really didn't think this through. Well, it's a good point that it's it's a complete and utter mistake, and um, and stupidity seems to be reigning uh, in Quebec City right now. Because I mean, this is, but but I cannot go along with them saying that it's racist. I mean, everything is racist. Everything is racist. Oh, I know. Um, I love I love when the left eats their own, though. 
Oh, I do too, but I don't, but it's like I, I just can't go along with it. I mean, that, it's not racist. It's just stupidity. It's an ill oh, it thought out. It's an ill thought out, stupid proposal. But it's not racist. It's not racist, and I kind of wonder how far they're willing to go with it when they haven't even suggested what that fine might be. But they can do what they want, and uh, Justin Trudeau and Aaron Trudeau will just nod and smile. And yes, I said Aaron <laughs> Trudeau on purpose. Aaron O'Trudeau. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not far off. But, uh, no, it's... yeah, I mean... Aaron O'Trudeau is is kind of towing the liberal line here lately too. I mean, he's not; he is barely standing up for uh, for individual rights right now. Like it's it's sickening. It is, and actually, on that topic, we'll uh, we'll move into our next discussion about the police state in Canada. Thirty three million. That's a big number, Canada. And that's how many of your cell phones and mine and likely Lewis have been tracked by the federal government since COVID. And it is for your safety. Well, let's put this into perspective. 33 million Canadian cell phones. That's all of them. Exactly. <laughs> that's all the cell phones in Canada. So don't think you haven't been getting tracked. It's every single cell phone in the country. There's only 38 million people in this country. Five million of them are under the age of 12. <laughs> That's right. Now, member Canada, well, we're going on a year and a half ago now when came out with an app for your phones for contact tracing purposes only. Listen on it back then said, it's not going to be just tracing your contacts. They're going to be tracking you. And the government even admitted last summer that, oh, yeah, whoops, we actually did collect more data than just your COVID contacts. And they still, to this date, have not told us what data they've collected. And finally, there is a parliamentary committee that's going to be investigating this. But who knows how long to Parliament gets prorogued again when they start to find something. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it if that's what happens. I mean, it, this is this. Uh, it, it, it's kind of crazy that they actually are getting going to get away with this because you know they will. I mean, they, they're going to set up a committee and then the NDP and the Bloc will vote with the with the Liberals to uh, you know somehow shut down the committee investigation. Well, they will, and it really bothers me that, okay, so they've tracked all of our cell phones, they've admitted they've tracked our cell phones, they've admitted that their data didn't belong to us, they collected all that, and then they've had to go up to say, well, we're actually going to take measures to pass legislation to give ourselves four more years of tracking all of your cell phones for other health concerns. So, what, I don't walk enough, so now you're going to start to suggest healthcare needs to be curtailed? Or where are we going, Canada? Yeah, well, I, I don't even know what to say about it anymore. I mean, that we knew this was going to happen. We predicted it was going to happen. Um, 
And again, it's something I wish we were wrong about, but we're not. We're right about it once again. And, you know, this is it, it, what's really funny is I just saw a meme on Facebook, and I was like, oh, this is perfect, and I sent it to you. And it says, I think it's about time we stop calling, or we start calling conspiracy theories spoiler alerts. Well, you know, that's actually not a bad idea because... Yeah, we get called conspiracy theorists all the time. And then six months to a year, sometimes not even that long later. Oh, whoops. Guess you guys are right after all. Yeah, it's happening way too much. I wish I was a crazy conspiracy nut, but I'm not. (laughs) All these all these predictions we've made have have all come true. Yeah, unfortunately, that that they have. And I. I wish they wouldn't, but here's one more conspiracy theory. Now, I don't know if we actually presented this as a theory. We did get very upset about it when COVID snitch lines were set up, and every province decided to set one up. And now, Brenda Lucky, the RCMP commissioner, has decided that, well, since those COVID snitch lines work so well, she openly, in the media, encourages Canadians to tell on your neighbors. Now they are. Now I gotta be careful how I word this. If they are communicating any kind of anti-government sentiment online, or anti-government or anti-police, right? Yeah, and that uh, boy, then that falls right in line with the new coming coming up Bill C ten and thirty six. Like we're already in a goddamn police state. This. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, this is pretty scary. And here's where my conspiracy theory um, mind has gone. (laughs) Is that I wonder how long it's going to be before the liberals use these complaints as reasons to suspend firearms licenses i could see that yep i could see that oh my god lewis is dangerous we we had best spend his license and then go confiscate his firearms yeah because i'm expressing i'm expressing anti-government sentiment um online and therefore i am a threat to the government and i need to have my firearms taken away and my license suspended i i see that i see that coming down the road and it'll all be based and it'll all be based simply on a complaint you won't need to be um, convicted in a court of law it'll just the suspicion alone will be enough Yep, and then uh, let's go one step further down that rabbit hole. Now, Canada, I'm sure you've heard of social credit. No, I do not mean the defunct political parties across Canada. I'm talking about China with their social credit system, and this just falls right into it. Um, Oh, geez, you've had, you know, complaints about four different social media posts calling Justin Trudeau a moron. Well, we're going to have to look into you and... Yes, suspend your, your firearm license. We may have to pull your passport so we can keep an eye on you. Like, yeah. This isn't even a conspiracy theory now, Canada. Well, it is right now, but mark my words, it's coming. Yeah, and uh, because we all know that Brenda Lucky um, allegedly, because I'm the one 
you know, I got to say this carefully so I don't, you know, get sued. But allegedly, you know, she is, you know, implementing things for the Liberal Party in the RCMP because she is, she was appointed by Justin Trudeau and she is uh, the niece of our former finance minister. So, I mean, she is, as far as I'm concerned, it is a direct conflict of interest that she even was was appointed uh, uh, to the position when when Bill Morneau was her uncle, um, but uh, but she was, and um, I really would not doubt it if if this was something that she was told to do. Well, her position has seemed to be somewhat politicized since being appointed. And that just goes, you know, one step further in my assertion that the RCMP needs to be refocused and repurposed and let them take care of, like, border control, international policing, or, or national scope. So, yeah, be at the border. Jesus is fantastic. But as far as it concerns Alberta, Saskatchewan, BC, Manitoba, and the Maritimes, it's time for our own provincial police forces across the country. And I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in the RCMP anymore. No, I, d- I don't either. And, and I have, I mean, the, oh, are we expressing anti-police uh, sentiment at the moment? Uh oh, uh oh, no, my passport's going to get pulled any moment now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's terrible! It's terrible. What is our country coming to? That's what bugs me the most. Is what is our country coming to? This is not the Canada I grew up in. This is not even the Canada that I knew ten years ago. It's not even the Canada I knew six years ago. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, right. what happened six years ago? Yeah. Well, Justin Trudeau, Trudeau got elected. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I don't know what is going on in this country, and I can't believe that people aren't up in arms about it or, or you know, actively opposing what is going on. They're, it seems like they're they're actually for it and encouraging it, and it's it's scary as hell. I, I'm, I really don't know what's happening in this country, and it scares the hell out of me. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'd... Uh... It's like when you do when they do polling, for example, people are all in for mandatory vaccinations. The NDP has a national vaccination strategy that they would implement if they were government. So thank God they're not. Well, and, the NDP the NDP can say whatever they want because they'll never be government. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's scary what this country has become. I don't understand how it is we've allowed ourselves to become a nation of. Well, of snitches for one thing, because that's that's a thing now, and a nation so divided, we'll backstab our neighbors just for spite. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't get it. It's 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 horrible. It is, it is. I don't I don't know what to say anymore about it. I mean, it's I'm I, I'm I'm legitimately scared of where this country has gone and where it's going. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And something else to be scared about is our kids with this whole pandemic is, and we've talked about this a few different times, but I want to 
uh, deep dive into a little bit more, especially now that school is back in in Western Canada, but Ontario and Quebec are still waiting one more week until they can find an excuse to shut schools down for even longer. And of course, NDP oppositions everywhere keep saying, oh, we need to, to, to keep students and kids at home because they will just want more money into the system for its ventilation. Then it's N95, whatever else, but forgetting about is the most important part of our schooling, and that is kids. Now, I mentioned before the show, uh, I spoke to a psychologist who's actually a friend of mine, and she has the private practice, but she also has young kids. So she not only gets to hear other people's grief with school with kids being put down, but she sees it in her family. And kids need to have the social studies. Kids need to socialize. Kids do much better when they're in school. They have the routine. And kids do not, especially the younger kids, do not do well when they've got that face diaper on their face. They need to be able to see their teachers talking to help them learn the language, for one thing. And it's just, it's all on so many levels. And the supports for kids aren't there in the school system. I don't even blame the school because this is something they've never dealt with before. But parents, schools, we don't all have the coping skills to teach kids how to, how to live in masks because they're not meant to. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that it's not just they need to see facial expression or, you know, they, don't, they need to see the mouth of the teacher to, to understand, you know, to learn the language and stuff. They also need to see facial expressions to know what the teacher's thinking or, or what if the teacher is, or if anybody, I mean, let's, let's just, let's just forget about the teacher. Let's just say their friends, they need to be able to see their friends' faces for, you know, emotion for, uh, um, for expressions, smiling, frowning, you know, all of these things, like without it, they, their developmental skills are actually being stunted. And, and this is all true. Like, this isn't just, you know, mumbo jumbo. This is actual. Oh, sorry. I said mumbo jumbo, which apparently is racist now. Um, the, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a necessary thing. And I mean, I notice it with myself. I need to see other people's faces. You just need to. And it's, it's um, it's getting to the point where I mean a lot of kids they're depressed. I mean I know that my own kids when when during the first lockdown of 2020, um, God can you can you believe we're saying that the, the lockdown of 2020 because there's been so many lockdowns and we're like into the third year now. Um, in the lockdown of 2020, the first one, uh, there my kids were actually getting depressed. Um, and but nobody seems to give a crap about these kids and their emotional well-being and their stunted uh, learning and, and emotional development and, and everything. I mean, this is this is bad. It's going to bite us in the ass down the road. Well, and it is now. Um, professors are reporting that first-year students, being the ones who recently graduated through virtual schools, etc., have the worst writing skills that they've seen. They said their essay development is horrible. And and these are our older teens who are, you know, 
supposedly a bit more resilient because they only had to deal with this at the later end of their school years. But um, yeah. again, Dr. Robert Malone, when he, Joe Rogan had said, the damage that we've done to our kids by at home, forcing them to put the masks on and keeping them away from their friends and a lot of their families is going to take, and he said, in plural, generations to correct. That's scary to me. Yeah, totally scary. Yeah, absolutely. And he's not wrong. I mean, you, we're going to have a generation, especially the, the younger ones who were in the grade one, the kindergarten age, where they were just starting to socialize, and they need to. And they've now had two years where, you know, this is anything but normal as far as their development is concerned. And they're going to go like, you know, somebody was making a point to me, like, say a six-year-old, for example, will have spent more than half of their life, you know, their life. And so they're going to think that's more normal than breathing free air with no mask on. That bothers me. Oh, yeah. And how weirded out are they going to be when the rest of the rest of society actually finally does go back to normal and they don't know how to cope because they've never had a normal? Well, to them, wearing that bloody mask is going to seem normal and, you know, going through all these, these steps. And I don't like that. I I, I, I mean, I'm glad that my kids are, are you know, in their 20s and, you know, they don't have to cope with that crap. But good Lord, I feel terrible for any of the kids out there who are in that younger elementary school age cohort. And even the kids who are in the, in the middle school cohort, like, uh, I mean, I'm sure you see with your own kids how, how things have changed. And it's, uh, it's horrible. It's, it's criminal. And our governments don't give a crap. No, and, and one of the biggest culprits is the teachers' unions. True. Absolutely right. Yep, they're, 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 you get every excuse they can to stay out of school. Yeah, the teachers' unions are finding every reason possible. And, and, the, and the crazy thing is, is that I don't find that the teachers actually agree with their own unions. I noticed that here as well, that uh, a lot of teachers just want to get back to school, but yet the union, of course, keeps moving the goalposts because first it's, oh, they all, teachers need N95 masks. And first it was ventilation. Then it was masks. Then now, then now it's, it's, oh, we got to have you know, a thousand tests at the schools. We can test every day. And, and I know I can see where this is going because I've seen it happen in other sectors as well. And it's just, yeah, they're ever moving goalposts because they don't want to go back to work. The union don't want the teachers to go back to work. The teachers are actually all for it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that the, what they don't get is having the teachers, the teachers aren't going to wear N95 masks. You can't talk through them. Yeah, good point. They, you can barely understand someone through an N95 mask and, because they're so, I mean, they're hard to breathe in. Never mind talk. They're not even going to wear them. So you know, I wish these teachers' unions would shut the hell up, let these teachers and kids go back to school. I mean, I know what the teachers' unions are doing. They're just trying to get more money out of the government. Um, yep. But and, and I mean, this is—it's it, just what they're doing is criminal. In my book, what the teachers' unions are doing is criminal. 
And I, and I wish that the individual teachers would start speaking out against them and saying, hey, let us go back to work. We want to go back to work. Kids pose little danger. Well, that's, that's the other thing. See, I mean, the, and we've mentioned this before, that kids are essentially bulletproof when it comes to COVID, and especially with Omicron. And again, we are not encouraging COVID parties for your kids, but it, evidence is pretty clear that they're going to be very much okay, even if they catch Omicron. So it's, yeah. uh, again, is this about a virus? No, it's all about control, and I have had enough. Well, and, the, and that brings me to the whole you know, hospital, current hospitalization rates and everything, and how the governments are saying that Omicron is driving the hospitalization rates. That's BS. Because Omicron isn't the only variant out there. Delta is still out there. And Delta is the one that puts people in hospitals. Omicron is an upper respiratory infection, which is a cold. So unless you're getting... Uh, you're getting um, uh, uh, pneumonia from omicron omicron is not putting you in the hospital and, and in fact a lot of the people that are in the hospital and they say have omicron and they're in omicron cases are the driving force in the hospitalizations what we're finding out in recent days is that those people are there for other reasons and just happen to test positive for for, for covid but yeah. Delta's still out there. I have a friend who just in the last two days tested positive for COVID. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's and it's bad. Like it's a really bad flu. Uh, lost taste and everything like that. That's Delta. That is not Omicron. Omicron doesn't do that to you. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. All right, so there are two things I want to touch on quickly before we, we wrap up for the day. Um, I was ready to spread some good news before we started the show, and then uh, you uh, pulled that rug out from under my feet. So I'll, uh, I'll save the good news part, and I'll let you say the bad news part. How's that? Sure. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. All right, so uh, January 15th, which is two days from now, the – Federal government had said, and so that's a couple of days ago, that all Canadian cross-border truck drivers will have to be double vaccinated to re-enter Canada. And I had said, as somebody who has a quarter century in the trucking business under his belt, boy, oh boy, you're asking for a lot of trouble. I mean, you think store shelves are empty now. Oh. And then this morning I'd heard the government had actually reversed that decision and said, oh, you know what? Canadian cross-border truck drivers will be exempt from being vaccinated. And then you came along. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, whoever the government official was who said that made a mistake. And all Canadian cross-border truckers have to be vaccinated once again. Womp womp. Damn. So now I'll say again, you think store shelves are empty now, Canada? The Canadian Trucking Alliance told Evan Solomon that between 12 and 16,000 truck drivers are just going to say, nope, and pull the pin. How are you going to get all that food and everything else into the stores when you lose 10% of the workforce? Yep. And what about uh, 
there's there's a vaccine mandate for interprovincial truckers coming too. I I read that last night and I thought, boy oh boy, they really really want to shut down the trucking industry. Uh, I mean, truck, for those of you who don't know Canada, a lot of you know have at least one truck driver in your family. They tend to be fairly independent-minded people, and truck drivers put up with a lot of BS from shippers, from their own dispatchers, from Department of Transportation, and they don't like putting up with crap. And when the government's going to throw this at them, I mean, and yes, of course, there's going to be a lot of truck drivers out there who happily got vaccinated. So before you sent all those emails, yes, that's true. But there's also a significant segment of the trucking business who's going to say, you know what? I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. I'm not doing this. Goodbye. And that is what we need to be afraid of because trucking is one of the oldest industries as far as the average age of a driver is in the mid 50s. So we are completely shooting ourselves in the foot by imposing these mandates. Yeah, we've already got a trucking shortage. We do. Yeah, we've already got a trucking shortage and we're going to cause an even bigger one. And I don't know, part of me, part of me almost feels like this is intentional. When you keep piling on more things that the government continues to do, it's really easy to see it that way, isn't it? Yeah, I just don't know what the um, what the end game is. I mean, I, it just I just don't understand what why they would. But it's like, what other reason is there? I mean, they, this has got to be intentional. Well, especially the interprovincial angle. I mean, that's they're not get it on a plane or a train so i mean this is completely just about control i mean that that means i mean so much freight that goes across canada obviously has to go interprovincial it's only a limited amount of freight that stays within a single jurisdiction so they're what they're asking to shut down basically our entire economy i mean you can't put all freight that goes across this country on the rail because there just isn't rail capacity for it. Air freight is way too expensive. So you're right. What's your end game here? No, the rail capacity is down. Is down. Like it's it's rails are maxed out, and I mean, like goods being shipped by rail are already being pushed aside for oil because of the lack of pipelines. So like there's no room on the rail system for goods and in fact uh goods have been moved off of rail because of other factors and uh and we've got a shortage on trucks so i mean i i don't understand what the end game is here i don't know why they're doing this it doesn't make any sense i just maybe i just don't see uh the sinister side of all this i just i mean i i don't I don't think that way, so maybe I just don't see it. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yep, I wish I had the answer for that. So, All right, Canada, we're getting close to our time, so we're going to wrap it up with a, a story that really should make you mad, but it's so dumb that Lewis and I had a good laugh about it earlier today. Now, I just heard the story this morning. There is a graduate student at the University of British Columbia who is writing a thesis on backyard ho- hockey rinks in Canadian homes. 
And those backyard hockey rinks are a symbol of colonialism, of capitalism, racist symbols of white privilege. Backyard hockey oh. rinks. Oh, my. <laughs> yes. And I, uh, so, of course, that made me harken back to my youth when my backyard hockey rink was actually a slew about a mile down the road. And my privilege was the frostbitten toes I'd get at the end of the day. Well, I, um, sure, it's a symbol of capitalism. Sure. You know, they've done well. They're able to afford to build a rink in their backyard. Sure. Um, but it's more of a product of capitalism, not a symbol. Um, and, uh, and racism? Why, why is it racist? Are they trying to say that non-white people uh, can't afford it? That's that's essentially what she said because she pointed out that hockey is a sport that is, you know, largely played by heterosexual white males. Oh. So they're so for that reason, it's racist. They're I guess sexist too since they're uh, heterosexual white males. And she said yes, people of color and Aboriginals, etc., you know, largely can't afford to buy homes and then can't afford to build a rink in the backyard if they have homes and those rinks are on private property so now it's an access issue which I said a backyard rink is a matter of a few lengths of two by eight and you know spray water in the backyard and you've got a rink so uh, that really isn't there and I'm so sick of everything being seen through a white privilege, racist, hierarchical lens. Like, uh, well, if it wasn't stupid, it'd be laughable. Okay, so the game of hockey, let's, let's be honest here. It's a violent sport. Oh, it is. Absolutely it is. So the fact that it's played primarily by straight white men... Um, comes as no surprise considering, you know, straight white men like violent sports, um, and straight white men make up the overwhelming vast majority of men in the country. They do. And I'll, I'll, I'll risk getting myself in trouble here. Um, one of my friends who happens to be black was uh actually i taught him to skate and the first thing he said was how can you do this for fun because i am so goddamn cold <laughs> so maybe that's one reason there's fewer black men playing hockey i don't know but he he certainly was just like this is not a sport for for, for me and my brother and meeting his uh his other black friends so there is that yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's been some pretty notable black players. One of my uh, favorites, Jerome Ginla. Jerome Ginla, Evander Kane, uh, uh, P.K. Subban. Um, you know, it, it, the list goes on and on. Georges Larocque. Um, it, it, there's, there's a lot of black 
men who've been successful in hockey. Um, and, And it's, it's just so stupid. We live in a primarily white country. Let's be honest here. Like, and the overwhelming majority, like, overwhelming majority of people are straight. And so I, I don't understand what the problem is here. Like, that, 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 that graduate student needs to, uh, you know, get out into the real world and find out what real problems are. Well, exactly, yeah. And I thought it's really disgusting for to view something as simple as a backyard hockey rink through that PC woke lens that is like, is nothing sacred? Like, uh, was Walter Gritsky some kind of white supremacist because he built a hockey rink in his backyard in, in Ontario? I, to me, I thought he's just a loving father who wanted to uh, practice a game that he loves. And, yeah. Well, it's let, the let, I'm just... I'm just going to put this out there. This has been something that's always been said to me. Um, the real racists are the ones who think about racist, they're racist all the time. And the only people I know that think about race all the time are the woke mob. And they are the real racists because they're the, they see everything through the lens of, of racism. And they're the ones who look at everything through the lens of sexism and the lens of misogyny and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's one of those things that they uh, that that that's all they think about. And the reason that's all they think about is because they're the ones who are actually the racists and the sexists and the and the the homophobes and all of that. It's not the people like us, where we don't think about this stuff until it's shoved in our face and, and we're told that we're racist just because we're white. Yeah, I think that's actually a, a really good way to summarize that. Those, I mean, those, they, uh, who, those, those who obsess over these things are the real perpetrators. Yeah, absolutely right. So, all right, Canada, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, Good show for our first official show of the year. Of course, our show last week was our weekend, I should say, was our one-year review. So uh, thank you for joining us and starting off another year with us, Canada. And until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. Tony.